Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's November the 7th, 2017. Week nine's completely done. Awards coming up. No guests today. We'll have guests later this week. I just feel like talking today. I got plenty of things I want to talk about. Usually, you know, I, the goal is to give you an idea of things that have happened in the NFL news that has emerged in the day that's transpired since we completed PFT Live 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern every weekday. So I try to focus on things that have happened since then. And that, that that's, that's what I'm going to do for the most part. One thing that I want to start with, and this happened last night during the game, and I thought I was just drunk. Now, full disclosure, Sunday's a long day, Monday's a long day. I go down to the barn, and I will have a couple of drinks while I watch the game. But I'm tired, and sometimes about 9, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, I'm not maybe paying as much attention as I should, especially if the game is as boring as it was last night. And we were having a good time. We had a couple of the guys eat the pocky, ultra hot Carolina Reaper chip. So we were having a good time and we're watching the game. And at one point there was a turnover. The Lions had lost the ball while they were driving. And I was very concerned about this because I thought maybe Matthew Stafford threw an interception and he was on my fantasy team, which nobody cares about except for me. And I barely do, but I wanted to know, did Stafford throw an interception? It's like, what the hell's going on here? And I just thought that maybe I wasn't paying as close attention to the game as I should until I saw MDS's item today about the John Gruden turkey hole bit that was played during the game and caused them to miss the play on which Amir Abdullah fumbled the ball and the Packers recovered it. Now, I got no problem with one of these, hey, look at how much I know about football and this is a turkey hole concept and you got seven hours of pregame. Do it there. You got halftime. Do it there. Why in the hell ESPN are you doing this during the game? It adds nothing to the game. And as much as the people who broadcast games believe that people tune in to watch and hear what people like John Gruden have to say, you're sorely mistaken. I don't care who the analyst is. No one is saying, oh, I got to tune in to watch this game, not because of the players who are playing, but because of who's doing play-by-play and who is handling the analysis. Now, I suppose some people would say I'm not going to watch this game that I otherwise would be marginally interested in because I don't like the announcers, or maybe I'll stick around for this game even though I don't really care about it because I like the cut of Tony Romo's jib, whatever that means. But it's not about Gruden. It's not about ESPN. It's not about the announcers. And when you do a segment like that during the game, you allow yourself to think it's about you. It's not about you. It's about the game, especially during the game. And wasn't that part of what the NFL was talking about in the offseason, the effort to improve ratings, keep the fans tuned in, strep out the crap, the extraneous nonsense. 
This is extraneous nonsense, this turkey hole feature, especially when it causes the fans to miss what they tuned in for. They tuned in for a football game, and they missed a key play in the football game, and do better than that, ESPN. And I can say that because Fred Gadelli and company at NBC would never pull something that stupid during a broadcast, all due respect. Speaking of stupid, this is something that came up this morning while we were doing PFT Live. Darren Gant sent me a link to a radio spot featuring Miko Grimes, the wife of Brent Grimes, the currently injured Buccaneers cornerback, whose career is probably winding down to a conclusion because he's in his mid-30s. She's trying to establish a media career. She's been in the center of some controversy. She was arrested at the Dolphins game. She had some very strong things to say about the Dolphins. She claims she got Brent cut. She had some anti-Semitic remarks that were so blatantly anti-Semitic, she would refuse to acknowledge they were anti-Semitic about Stephen Ross and Mike Tannenbaum. She's on a show somewhere. I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of it. I don't have it in front of me. It doesn't matter to me. I'm sorry. To, I, I know that I know that you worked very hard, and, and Miko Grimes is very hard to book. I know it was an exclusive, so I'm sorry I'm not in a position to give you the credit you deserve for finagling Miko Grimes in your studio. So I'm sorry, because I know that, that you really, really had to work hard and call in favors and finesse the situation to get the elusive Miko Grimes into your radio studio. She claimed that the Raiders offensive line, and I, I you know, my reaction was, I, we're not going to deal with this. We are not dealing with this. We're not going to give her what she wants. But it's so over the top. It's so outlandish. And I, I said, let's just monitor it and see what happens. Here's what she said. She said that the Raiders offensive line, all of which is African-American, the only apparently full African-American offensive line, starting offensive line in the NFL, they were offended because Derek Carr wanted them to stand for the anthem. He refused to kneel with them. She claimed that this all happened at the time, you know, the weekend that everything hit the fan. And that they decided in the locker room to let him get hurt. Think about that. They decided in the locker room to let him get hurt. And eventually he took a helmet or a hit or something to the back, and he had the multiple fracture transverse processes, missed a game, and came back and played. Now, Donald Penn has come out and denied it strongly on Twitter. He's one of the five offensive linemen. And I'd like to think if something like this were even remotely true, there would be lingering signs of it, that something somehow, some way would have been said, that expression of frustration would have emerged, that something, some way... This isn't something that just percolates for five weeks. And here's what I think happened. Because she's got her weeks mixed up. And my assessment of this is she had heard about the radio hosts in California who suggested that the Raiders offensive linemen in week three against Washington on a, on a Sunday night, that they tanked because they were so upset about the way the team handled the anthem issue and week three was the weekend when this all hit the fan that was two days after the president said what he said in alabama and it made the anthem protests about him not about the flag not about the military it's never about the flag the military the country it's about bringing attention to social issues that players have concerns about so 
that was floating around out there. And I spent the week trying to corroborate that because, hey, you know, that's plausible to me because the Raiders were so bad that night. They got beat 27 to 10 and it felt like it was 54 to 3. So I chased that. I made some phone calls. The best I could get is there were some people who were frustrated with Derek Carr because of his stance on the situation, but nothing along the lines of anyone not playing hard and contributing to this game just being a mess. Now, they may have been distracted, but it wasn't deliberate. And I think there were multiple teams that were distracted by what happened. I think the Dolphins were. I think the Steelers were. Whether it was what happened or how your team reacted to it or how your team went about dealing with it, I think it did affect multiple teams that week, and I think it did affect the Raiders. But it's one thing to say they were affected by circumstance. It's another thing to say there was any type of deliberate action. And here's where she got it wrong. See, she's got misfiles in her brain about what happened when. She heard, I believe, about the speculation that they laid down and didn't try hard week three. And then a week later, Derek Carr gets hurt, and she mashed the two games together because he got hurt week four against the Broncos. The Anthem stuff hit the fan week three. And that was when there was suspicion that maybe the Raiders didn't go all out. Maybe they didn't try hard. Maybe they were distracted by the Anthem issue, whatever. They weren't the Raiders. That was the first game where the Raiders are 2-0, and and it was just like, oh, my God, what's wrong with this team? This is a Super Bowl contender, and they laid an egg like that. That's a disqualifying event. So I think she got the two mashed together. And in her brain, she took what she'd heard others say and speculate about the Raiders, and she crammed it into the... Raiders deliberately allowed Derek Carr to get injured box and she convinced herself that that happened and look if you say something authoritatively whatever it is I mean haven't we learned that by watching politics for the last year it doesn't matter if it's true it matters if you're selling it and she sold it like it was true and there's no way that that's true because there's no way that just goes away if your linemen are deliberately allowing you to get injured and it just so happened that You know, by whiffing on that block, he got hit in the back and had three bones break. There's no way that that stays under wraps. There's no way that there isn't some other indication of significant dysfunction. So I call BS on all of it, and I didn't even want to talk about it. But I think it's one of these things that's so ridiculous, and and people are covering it. See, people didn't cover the theory that came from the radio hosts after week three that really didn't catch on and i stayed away from it unless and until i could corroborate it but so many people are writing and talking about this i think that the bottom line is she is misremembering either intentionally or accidentally and cramming two weeks together and and coming out of this stew of of an agenda maybe she wants to push a story that maybe she thinks is interesting something that can get her some notoriety and mission accomplished that's how we got to this point Mike Tomlin has reinstated Martavis Bryant, even though he wasn't really suspended. But you know what? One thing we're learning, he really was suspended. They deactivated him for the game a couple of weeks ago against the Lions because Martavis Bryant was on the on again, off again. I want out. I don't want out. I never said that. Yes, I did. I, you know, it was like trying to figure out what's happening next in the Ezekiel Elliott case. It's like every day there was some different story about Martavis Bryant either wanting out or not wanting out. Mike Tomlin wasn't happy. And it was determined that he would be deactivated for the game. And now that he's back, Tomlin told reporters today that Bryant did a nice job of dealing with the suspension. So it was a suspension. And you're not supposed to have paid suspensions anymore. That was part of the 2006 CBA. That was, it was a a reaction to the Terrell Owens 
situation where they suspended him four games without pay for conduct detrimental to the team and then told him stay home with pay the rest of the year. They fought that via grievance and lost. The players did. So they negotiated it into the next CBA where you can't suspend a player with pay. But the thing is, you can because they're never going to fight you. They have to fight you. They've done that before. I think when San Antonio Holmes got cited for marijuana use 2008 maybe, they suspended him with pay for a game. Technically, you're not allowed to do that. But if the player doesn't fight it, the player doesn't fight it. And that's that. Bottom line is, they weren't happy with Bryant. He's paid his dues, and now he's back, and we'll see what he can do. We'll see if he can get out of the doghouse. But this is another example of teams defying the CBA from time to time and a no-harm, no-foul type of an outcome because the player doesn't fight it. The, the last thing Martavis Bryant was going to do was file a grievance saying, how dare you suspend me with pay for a game? And, and ultimately, here's the problem. If you have inactive players seven a week, somebody's always going to be inactive. And it's hard to get into this argument of whether or not this guy should have been inactive instead of that guy. Somebody's not dressing for the game. In this case, it's obvious Martavis Bryant didn't dress for the game for disciplinary reasons. Teddy Bridgewater's close to dressing for a game. Here's what's going on here. And if you haven't been paying attention, it felt like big news. Oh, more reports that Teddy Bridgewater is going to return to the active roster. Marvel, of course he is. Of course he is. The moment he was put back on the practice field three weeks ago, we knew that tomorrow was the day that he's going to return to the roster. Because here's how it works. If you have a guy who's on the pup list, physical and able to perform list, and he's there at the start of training camp. And this is, there's two phases to this. It gets very confusing. It seems like every year I forget the rules and then I learn them again. When you show up, if you can't pass a physical, for reasons related to an old football injury from playing in the NFL, you're regarded as physically unable to perform. If you can't pass a physical for other reasons, college football injury or you stepped on a conch shell or you fell down the steps or you tripped over your dog or whatever excuse, you slipped on a McDonald's bag, remember that one? Then you're on the non-football injury list. You can come off of that at any time. You count toward the 90-man roster. You can come off of it at any time once you pass a physical. You can't practice with the team until you do. And a lot of these guys will just slide over from the active PUP or NFI list during training camp in the preseason. But if a guy really isn't ready, then at the start of the regular season, specifically when the roster's cut to 53, they may leave you on the PUP list. And if they leave you on the PUP list or the NFI list, you're there for at least six weeks. And then between week six and 11... You can return to practice. And for Teddy Bridgewater, it was week six. As soon as the window opened, he returned to practice. And once you return to practice, there's a three-week window where you can practice as a 54th man on the roster or 55th or 56th, depending on how many guys are on PUP or NFI. You have extra guys at practice for three weeks. See, it's a way to manipulate a little bit and have extra players on your roster. So for three full weeks, you get an extra guy on the roster. And then at the end of the three full weeks, you have to either put the guy on the active roster and get rid of someone from the active roster, or you shut him down for the year. And they were never going to shut him down for the year. They were never going to shut him down for the year, number one, because he's healthy. The moment he's cleared to practice, he's able to play because of the injury that he had, the torn ACL and related damage. He's been ready to play from the moment they, they cleared him to practice. We've been saying that consistently. But the other side of this is, if they shut him down for the year, his contract tolls into 2018, and they were going to have a big mess, legal and PR mess. 
because Teddy Bridgewater would have filed a grievance and he would have fought this saying, I'm healthy enough to play and I should be able to play and be a free agent after the 2017 season. That's the business side of this that is pushing this along with the football side toward Bridgewater being activated. And people are going to be shocked tomorrow when this happens. And by the time we do this again on Wednesday, I feel very certain, which means it's probably not going to happen, that Bridgewater will be activated and Sam Bradford will be put on injured reserve. Now, Bradford is the guy who played week one and played great Monday night football. Career game. Popped up on the Wednesday injury report two days later as limited in practice with a knee injury. I wrote something about it. People gave me a hard time. Oh, you're making something out of nothing. And he's only played for a quarter and a half since then. The next Monday night game, four weeks after the first Monday night game against the Bears and the Vikings, for his own good and for their own good, got him off the field and went with Case Keenum. I think Bradford's going to go on IR because... With, that, with Bradford not on IR, you got four quarterbacks on the roster. So the only other guy who would be removed from the roster is Kyle Sloter, who you could pass him through waivers and put him on the practice squad. The problem is you put him through waivers, somebody's going to claim him. That's the concern. Broncos could claim him. Someone would claim him. That's the fear. So you keep Slaughter on the roster. You put Bradford on into reserve. It's not like Bradford's going to do anything for the team this year anyway. He's got the, the mysterious knee injury that's gotten no better. A non-contact bone bruise that apparently didn't manifest itself during that Monday night game. But by the next day, he was in discomfort. And this is a guy who's had two torn ACLs in the same knee. And, and the knee just simply may be shot. He'll be a free agent after the season as well. But it's not going to be easy for him to, to get the kind of contract that, that that week one performance was pointing to. That week one performance was pointing to $24 million a year. Things have been complicated for Sam Bradford. So now they've got three other guys, all of whom are in contract years. And Slaughter is the only one whose rights they control because he's an exclusive rights free agent, which means not a free agent at all. So they'll be able to keep him around next year. But Keenum is due to be an unrestricted free agent and Bridgewater as well. And the question then becomes, when do you flip the switch from Keenum to Bridgewater? And that's the question that fascinates me, because this week at Washington, do you really go with Bridgewater when Keenum has played as well as he has? I don't think you go to Bridgewater this week. Then, you know, they've got one out of their next five games at home. They've already had five home games in the first half of the season. They have the Rams come to town. That, on the surface, would be an ideal opportunity to go with Bridgewater. Home game, favorable circumstances, but... If they beat Washington on Sunday, how do you sit Keenum down? You're not going to let Keenum play against his former team? You're going to take the ball away from him? So I don't know that that happens. Now, if Keenum struggles in the game, then maybe you go with Bridgewater in the Rams game. If he can beat Washington. If he loses to Washington, then maybe you go with Bridgewater. But it's the Rams. It's Aaron Donald. You're going to throw this guy to the Wolves right away? Then you got three straight road games. you got the short week trip to the Lions, I think that is a critical game. There's going to be at least the division title, if not a playoff berth. Because I'm not sure the loser of that game gets to the wild card round. But just like last year, these Lions-Vikings games, critical to postseason positioning for the two teams. The Vikings desperately need to win that game. Even though they're 6-2 and two and the Lions are 4-4, four and four, the Lions have a much easier schedule the rest of the way, and the Vikings could end up losing three in a row. And 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 more beyond that, because they go from Detroit to Atlanta, then to Carolina, and then they host Cincinnati. I think the Cincinnati game may be the one where you 
you go with Bridgewater. Unless there's just a full-blown free fall. Washington, Rams, Lions. Three critical games for the Vikings. And uh, if they keep playing well, I don't know when you go with Bridgewater. But at some point, it's going to be the right time. And you assume that the coach will know the right time to make the switch. Now is the right time for me to do the awards for this week. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to I'm gonna weasel out a little bit. I've got Offensive Player of the, of the Week. Not of the year, of the week. We'll eventually do Offensive Player of the Year. Offensive Player of the Week. And I've only done one before, but I've got to go with two this week. I could have just made up another category. You know, there's been so much talk about what went wrong with the Packers this week. And Brett Hundley isn't the answer. And Joe Houlihan is his backup. And we're finding out what kind of a coach Mike McCarthy is because he doesn't have Aaron Rodgers there to save his bacon. We got to give Matthew Stafford some credit. The Lions didn't punt at all last night. And Stafford was 26 for 33 for 361 yards, a pair of touchdowns. He's got 200 career touchdowns now. He's got the most touchdowns of any visiting team quarterback at Lambeau Field. He had that before he even came into this game. His his ankle and or hamstring are healed, and he's looking good. The, the only bad moment for Stafford last night was the quarterback sneak. It was more like a quarterback hide. He got the ball and he just fell down and and others laid on top of him. That was not a good look. The rest of it was a very good look for Matthew Stafford, who is earning every penny of his $27 million contract. Now, the other offensive player of the week, Adrian Peterson, 32 years old, 37 carries, and just kept banging and banging. I loved his line about having that many carries. He said, the ball's not heavy. Apparently, that's an old John McKay line. And they play Thursday night. And... Bruce Arians has indicated the same workload. Could you imagine if Adrian Peterson ends up with 70 carries four days apart? And you know what? When your quarterback's Drew Stanton, keep giving the ball to Adrian. Keep giving the ball to Adrian. And, you know, and, and I'm so rarely right about things that when I am right, I tend to remember it because it's easy to remember because it's not like my mind's cluttered up with all those things I've been right about. When he got traded to the Cardinals, I said, be careful what you wish for. Because they will chew you up and spit you out. And they are going to use you. They, they are going to give you what you want. You want the ball? You're getting the ball. And you're getting the ball a lot. And and so far, no complaints. No complaints. Arian said, I, I'm afraid I'm going to have to fight him if I try to limit his, his uh, opportunity. So, for the first time since we've been doing this, co-offensive players of the week, Matthew Stafford and Adrian Peterson. Defensive player of the week. And, and I know he got ejected from the game. But i got to give some admiration and respect to Jalen Ramsey because look players get called dirty all the time players who play within the rules and that's the comment that Tom Coughlin had today about Jalen Ramsey and it got me to reassess the situation because I don't think Ramsey should have been ejected and the reason he was ejected is either they thought he threw a punch or they knew he instigated and he'd been doing things all game long and I thought he had some blame there but you know it's not pretty it's not savory, but if you can get inside your opponent's head, you're, you're ahead of the game. And the way that should have worked out is Green should have been ejected and Ramsey should have been allowed to keep playing. And, and I know Ramsey was taking shots at Green, but, but they were legal shots. They weren't cheap shots. They weren't violations of the rules. Ramsey was just in his face, driving him crazy, and got a guy like A.J. Green to pop. It reminds me of exactly of what Cortland Finnegan and Andre Johnson did when they got into it. So, I, 
I, you know, you took you took the best offensive weapon off the field, and yeah, you had to trade Jalen Ramsey for it. But I like the way Ramsey plays. I like the way the Jaguars' defense plays. I I like what this team can do this year. I think they're headed for the postseason. Chris Sims is starting to suggest that they may make it to the Super Bowl, and I hope they do. But I hope they they pick a color for their helmet. If they're going to be the NFL's representative, one of the two representatives in the Super Bowl, I hope the NFL says, hey, hey guys, this is a pretty significant game and a lot of people are going to be watching and we think you need to pick a color for your helmet. And oh, by the way, sources close to me tell me that next year they will. That come next year, there will be one color selected for the Jaguars helmet. Rookie of the week. This is going to feel like a cop-out because I was having a hard time coming up with anyone, but you know what? It's the Deshaun Jackson Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Watson, Rookie of the Week Award anyway. I've given it to him four or five times. I'm giving it to him again. I know he didn't play. But his value was demonstrated by his absence, and I feel bad for him. The non-contact ACL tear last Thursday, coming off of a masterful performance, even though they lost. 41-38. Watson was great. And there's every reason to believe he was going to continue to get better. And it just was heartbreaking. It was a punch in the gut. I was with my son. There was an alert that flashed across the, the phone. So what was that? He said, oh, Deshaun Watson, Texans fear Deshaun Watson suffered torn ACL in practice. I said, Get the, don't, don't do that to me. Don't, don't give me that. He said, no, that's what it says. Like, oh. And Kareem Jackson was on the PFTPM podcast last week. And he said it was just a routine play. He was trotting. And he went down. He got up smiling. Everybody thought everything was fine. Kareem Jackson thought they were joking with him when they told him, that Deshaun Watson had a torn ACL. I think the thing, I mean, it sounds like it was already partially torn, if not mostly torn, and it just finally went the rest of the way. So it is the Deshaun Watson Offensive Rookie of the Week Award, officially. And I give it that name. On the last possible week, I can give him the award because the Texans would have easily beaten the Colts if he had played. It's almost like the Peyton Manning argument from 2011 that he was the MVP of the league because he proved his value in his absence. Remember that NFL magazine that had like four issues? They actually named Peyton Manning the MVP for 2011 because of his absence, demonstrating that he's the most important player in the game. And you know what? By that standard, Aaron Rodgers is the leading candidate for MVP in 2017. Coach of the week, Sean McVay. Kept his team focused. Cross-country flight. Giants team that... You never know what you're going to get from them. Coming off of a bye. Both teams coming off of a bye, so there was no advantage there. And you go in and you take care of business. And you have a play in the playbook for third and 33. That alone gets Sean McVay the Coach of the Week award. If you've got a play and you've got a team that legitimately thinks they can turn that play into a first down on third and 33, you're the Coach of the Week. And it wasn't just a 34-yard gain. It was a 52-yard gain for a touchdown, due in part to the fact that Eli Apple made no effort to tackle. But the Rams, 51-17, the most points scored against the Giants in their own building. Well, and it wasn't that building, obviously, in 1964. At home. I don't know where they were playing in 64. Polo Grounds, somewhere like that. I don't know. Yankee Stadium. I don't know where they all played back then. The Yale Bowl for a year. Either way. It was a great performance for the Rams. And we've sp- spoken so much about 
all the dysfunction with the Giants, we got to give credit to the team that went in there and did that to them. That's 51 points against the Giants. And that's a team that had to travel cross-country, coming off of a bye, very easy to be complacent. And they got it done. They're 6-2 and two now, and the Seahawks are 5-3. and three. And that's critical because, as of right now, the Seahawks hold the tiebreaker against the Rams for the NFC West crown. Win of the week, speaking of teams going cross-country, and this is a team that went cross-country on a short week. Right? Did they play last Monday night? I'm getting my week screwed up. No, they lost to the Cowboys at home. They had played Monday night against the Eagles the week before. These weeks are all getting jumbled together for me. They had lost to the Cowboys, demoralizing fashion. They had a ton of injuries. Washington goes to Seattle and somehow, somehow snatches a win. And we're in the studio at NBC as this was happening. The Seahawks going with bump and run when Washington's got to drive down the field. What are you doing? Great win by Washington. Team win and an, an expensive win because Kirk Cousins' value has been underscored. And right now, if Washington had to decide what to do about Cousins for 2018, I think they'd apply the franchise tag again and pay him more than $34 million for next year. And that may be what they ultimately do. Play of the week came in the Chiefs-Cowboys game. The 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 short pass to Tyree Kill and let him run through the prevent defense that was back deep to guard against the Hail Mary at the end of the first half. That was a thing of beauty. And and I, I also need to criticize the Chiefs a little bit here. Why aren't you getting the ball in the hands of Tyree Kill more often? Look at what this guy can do. Look at what a weapon he is. Last year he did more because they were they were putting the ball in his hands more. He's like a decoy this year. And it makes me wonder, and this is all speculation. All complete and total speculation. I mean, are they like afraid he's going to get a big head or does he already have a big head and they're trying to knock him down a peg? Do they not want him to go out and be wildly successful? Are they choosing to use him as a decoy because they're afraid they're going to create a monster if Tyreek Hill becomes the face of the league? I, I don't get it. But he was he's every bit as dynamic and talented this year as he was last year. But last year, they used him a heck of a lot more. I mean, maybe it's a season-long rope-a-dope. And they're going to unleash him at some point in December. But that was the play of the day. Because Tyreek Hill, one of the few guys in the NFL. It's funny because the reaction was, why don't teams do that more often? Well, they don't have Tyreek Hill. That would be a reason that you don't do it. There aren't many guys that are like the fastest kid in the schoolyard. Where they just take off and run circles around everybody. Tyreek Hill is that. And that's why they should be getting the ball in his hands more often. In traffic, in space, wherever. The guy's incredible. They need to use him more. And this was a reminder, a stark reminder of how they need to use him. And now they're in their bye week. I feel bad for the Chiefs because Andy Reid's virtually unbeatable coming out of the bye week. They're wasting their bye week return game this year on the Giants. They could they could beat them on two hours rest, not two weeks. So we'll see if they use Tyreek Hill more coming out of the other side. One quick item about Jerry Jones and his ongoing campaign against the commissioner. I wrote this earlier today at PFT because, you know, the fact that there isn't an extension for the commissioner, the John Schnatter comments from last week, the Papa John CEO, who's a business partner of Jerry Jones. And it was funny. They had a, they had a a media conference call today. They do these at least once a week now with the NFL and Joe Lockhart. One of the last questions was, and and I don't know who the reporter was, but it was like, you know, I apologize for asking this, but uh, any concern that Jerry Jones instigated uh, the Papa John's remarks and, you know, the Joe Lockhart said the perfunctory, no, I haven't heard that. Now, of course he did. 
And it's been reported by PFT that it's believed within league circles that he did. He owns 120 Papa John's franchises. Schnatter said what he said, and then Jerry Jones publicly patted him on the back for it. Of course he instigated it. Come on, man. I apologize for asking this question. Why? If if you're going to apologize for asking the question, don't ask the damn question. What kind of a move was that? I don't know who it was. It's probably somebody I know. It's probably a friend of mine. Not anymore. If he's listening, and if you are, thank you. All right, let's uh, let's see if there's any questions on Twitter. I, I do this from time to time. It's called filler. But sometimes there's some good questions. And I promise to answer the best ones. And uh, you know what? Let's find out what they were together. <laughs> Robert Littal from Black Sports Online asks, why do you think J.J. Watt hasn't spoken on Bob McNair or Papa John but speaks on everything else? That That's, 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 uh, that, that's a pretty good question, Robert. And, you know, when I spoke to Dwayne Brown, it's now been 10, 11 days ago, the day after the inmates can't be running the prison comment came to light. I asked Dwayne, where's J.J. Watt been in all this? Because they had the Friday meeting and DeAndre Hopkins and Deontay Foreman left and multiple other guys were thinking about not practicing. I said, where's J.J. on all this? He said he's not around the team. He's rehabbing his injury and he hasn't been around. That doesn't keep him from chiming in on social media. But look, J.J. Watt knows how to lean into the spotlight when it's a good spotlight. And and I say that fully aware of the great work he did in connection with Hurricane Harvey. It was incredible, and he deserves cra- praise and credit for it. But he's smart enough to know when to keep his head low and his mouth shut. He knows when to step into the spotlight, and he also knows when to run into the corner. And on this one, nothing good comes from him if he has anything to say. And if there are people who think he should be saying something about it, I don't have a problem with that. Because he has stayed conspicuously inconspicuous in this specific situation. At Tony Ricolo wants to know why doesn't the Packers GM or the coach take some heat for the losing? Aaron Rodgers should not make or break a team. Hey, Tony, I don't know if you're new to the party here, but I've been saying for the past several years that if the Packers had a traditional owner, Thompson and or McCarthy would be gone by now. Because it's clear that Rodgers is the guy who is consistently saving people, saving games, saving jobs. Chris Sims is always criticizing that offense, that West Coast offense from 20 years ago that has very little imagination or creativity and it relies on a great quarterback to make it all go. And that's what Rodgers does. You take Rodgers out of the mix and look at the drop-off. And, and I really wonder, I really wonder if Ted Thompson and Mike McCarthy resist having a great backup quarterback because Aaron Rodgers would in some weird way feel threatened by it. I really wonder that. I'm going to leave it at that, though. I, 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 got, an, I got enough issues to deal with. I, I don't want to have another Florio hates the Packers controversy and... Packers fans all up in arms. Hey, Packers fans, I'm on your side. And I respect the fact that that stadium was still full late into the game last night. I'd have been home in bed long before shots of the stadium midway through the fourth quarter, and you were still there. And you deserve credit and praise and appreciation from the team for being there. And you deserve better than what you've gotten. What you have is Aaron Rodgers and a coach and a GM who haven't been able to put enough around Aaron Rodgers to do more than go to one Super Bowl in his career. And every year I pick them to go to the Super Bowl out of the NFC because every year I look at them and say they've got Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers makes you the best team. I'll leave you with this on that point. I'm going to move on to a few more questions. On that point, though, 
When does Aaron Rodgers want out? When does he want to play for another team? When does he want to play for a team that has a, a better defense, a team that has a better running game, a team that has a more aggressive approach to free agency, a team that has one owner who will clunk heads together and ask tough questions? See, you can't just fire somebody in Green Bay. you got boards of directors. you got political realities. It's all the politics of a corporation jammed into the shoebox of an NFL team. And sometimes it works because it keeps you from doing stupid, rash things, but it also paralyzes you when something decisive needs to happen. That was a good question, though. At RJ Wallace, RJW3, what's wrong with the Falcons? Everything especially offensively. And I was stunned last week when Mohamed Sanu, Falcons receiver on PFT Live, I said to him, what's the biggest difference between the offense this year and last year? He said it's completely different. Well, what, what the hell, Falcons? You got Kyle Shanahan who puts together an offense that works with your personnel, 540 points. It took two years to get there because they had to get the right offensive lineman to make that offense work. So by year two, off it goes, 540 points. So instead of promoting the quarterback's coach or one of the other position coaches and saying, we're just going to keep doing what we've done, they roll up the playbook, they throw it away, and they bring in Steve Sarkeesian and say, all right, do your thing. That's a reason why it's not working. All right, what else do we have? At SARS Monster 15, would Eli Manning consider retirement? I don't see how you don't consider retirement. That's going to be one of your options. I don't think he wants to be back with the Giants next year. I don't know that. I don't know why I'd want to be back. They're, they're not showing me any signs that they're moving in the right direction. And I think there'll be plenty of teams out there that will want to give him a shot. And we see that now. We see what happens with older quarterbacks late in their career. Peyton won a Super Bowl with a new team. Brett Favre almost got to a Super Bowl with a new team. Joe Montana almost got to a Super Bowl with a new team. Sometimes it's time to change teams. And you know, Eli Manning may not want to do it, but but that may be his best play come 2018. And the Giants may not want him come 2018. Mark Fitzpatrick. No, Mike Fitzpatrick. Sorry, Mike. I called you Mark. I'm Mike, and I've been called Mark before, so we can commiserate on that. Over under, Josh Gordon will score three touchdowns if activated by the Browns. I, I don't know because I don't know that a quarterback can get it to him. And I, I think that he will play if he can manage to get through the next month or so clean. And if you're Hugh Jackson and you're just trying to win enough games this year so you have a chance to lose a bunch of games next year, I don't know why you don't use him. And maybe he goes a long way toward making a bad quarterback look pretty good. I mean, he had nearly 1,700 receiving yards in 14 games in 2013, and they had a revolving door of nothing at quarterback. Jeremy York at the Impact 99. How serious is the rumor of Bruce Arians to Indianapolis next season. You know, that was something that Matt Casey, the PFT Live producer and the producer of Football Night in America threw out there when we were doing the hot seat a little while ago, a couple of weeks ago. Bruce Arians possibly on the hot seat in in uh, Arizona and Chuck Pagano's departure feeling like a foregone conclusion in Indiana. A reunion of Bruce Arians and Andrew Luck. I tell you what, a lot of that hinges on whether or not Luck really is going to be healthy next year. Uh, <laughs> yeah. At Mern W, ever throw into a turkey hole? Stop it with the turkey hole. Just stop it. Josh Orenberg, what is a turkey hole? Stop it. Jesse Clark wants to know, because I said we'll answer the best ones. What about the worst ones? Well, maybe we'll answer those two. I'll let you figure out which category that one falls into. At Hamspam, thank you, ma'am. One of our friends who always has a good question. Do you think the Vikings will play Teddy Bridgewater this year? I think they will. It's just a question of when. The only way they don't is if Case Keenum just comes out and lights it up every week and there's never a moment where you feel comfortable flipping the switch from Keenum to Bridgewater. But I, I'd like to think the Vikings will know 
when the right time is to do that. I probably should go. There's more good questions here. We'll, we'll, we'll answer more questions later this week. I'm, I'm, God, there's more questions. I've been going for 39 minutes. You know what? If you're listening this long, you're not going to turn it off. Let me just keep going a little bit longer. Wayne McEachern, what are the chances Peyton Manning becomes a front office executive with a team this offseason? I think they're slim. I think he wants to be part of ownership, and he understands that John Elway was out of football for like a decade before he came back. There's no rush here. There's no hurry for Peyton Manning. He's enjoying his life, and I had someone who knows him well suggest in the offseason this year that maybe he just doesn't want to do it again. Maybe once you get out of that life and you realize the world is a lot bigger and a lot more interesting than being consumed all the time by winning football games, maybe you don't want to go back to that if you have other ways that you can finance your life. And the guy's got so much money, and he can just show up at a commercial shoot a couple of times a year and make even more money. I mean, people are going to keep paying him. They're still paying him. He's got those nationwide commercials with Brad Paisley. They're going to keep paying him. Whatever he chooses to do, he's going to be successful. And if he chooses to do nothing, he's going to be successful at that as well. At at Rams Rome 16, Steve Goldstein, why do you guys marginalize what the Rams have done? They route the New York Giants, and all Florio and Sims talk about are the G-men. Hashtag Eaton Crow. Well, we, we did make Sean McVay the coach of the week, and I said we need to give the Rams credit. And that was before I saw this. So I hope you're happy, Steve. I hope we've addressed your concerns, and I appreciate your question, Steve. Uh, at Anthony Zinno, at Real Tony Zinno, I'm getting these wrong. I'm saying the name instead of the at. Anthony Zinno, at Real Tony Zinno, is your liberal-driven agenda impeding your ability to bring an unbiased report to your ever-decreasing fan base? Yeah, shut up. I've, I've, I, I haven't been unbiased since November 1 of 2001. When we went online. And we'll wrap with this. How long have you been bad at your job? From Bravo 788. Since November 1 of 2001. I've been very bad at my job. And it has paid the bills and then some. So thank you for your continued support of me sucking at my job. Tune in tomorrow for more of me sucking at my job. PFT live in the morning. PFT PM in the afternoon. In between and after and all around the clock. ProFootballTalk.com. Thanks for some of your time. We'll do this again Wednesday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.